Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. What's up, Kristen? How's it going today? Oh, it's going. Um, things are going good over mm-hmm. here. Thank you for asking. How are you? How's Brooklyn? How's Banjo? Uh, how's newly engaged life? Well, as we're recording this, um, it is like a beautiful autumn day here. Like just like looking at the golden light on the oak tree outside of my window here Mm -hmm. and it's it's really divine but I know that this episode will come out when those leaves are gone so some little uh timeline jumping here but yeah Mm -hmm. as of as for now things are are very very golden and sweet here amazing thanks for asking and um what's our question today from the witch wide web Well, Aaron asked us how we approach tarot cards that seem a bit more opaque to us or that maybe we have difficulty getting to know. So what do you think? Mm. Yeah, I really love this question. Thanks, Aaron. Um, I think I think it's great because this episode especially carries with it some really, really special tarot magic. Well, you know, I'm not a professional reader, so definitely take my advice uh, with a grain of salt about this. But, you know, for me, I I think that things kind of click uh, with the cards when they're going to click. And, you know, to deepen relationships with certain cards in the past, I've added them to altars or put them in a place visible on my desk. Um, um, I also love consulting the experts. Um, 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollack is, is a really great great one that's a favorite of mine for tarot questions um i think automatic writing with a card can be a really great exercise and these are things that have worked for me in the past and and also just trust the process take note of the images and colors plants archetypes represented and and start small what do you think Yeah, I like all those um, suggestions. I think automatic writing is great, you know, just to let the words flow and see what comes out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's never, you know, one size fits all answer to these questions. But I'm always going to say meditation as a first step, Mm -hmm. Um, just meditating on the imagery in the card. Um, I often think about how, you know, many, many years ago and even today, one of the main purposes of art uh, was is to tell a story without words. And that's why there are so many interesting details in certain works of art, lots of symbolism and intentional depictions of things that may seem random but are not. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no greater example of that than tarot especially if you're using a deck that has been around for a very long time or was designed by occultists like the Rider-Waite and Coleman deck that so many of us use. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've heard this, Kate, but there's an expression that the soul speaks through images, not words. And so there's a theory that by meditating on specific images, even without having any context about what they might represent, that you will receive messages and insight and you can connect with this ancient web of wisdom um, surrounding these cards and mm-hmm. these images. And I think this is especially true when it comes to magical or esoteric imagery. I love that. Yeah. So all things just to think about um, as we talk about tarot a little bit later in this episode. But um, first, should we introduce our very special guest for today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so excited about this conversation, and I know that you are too, Kristen. And listeners, we uh, recorded this in the middle of October, like like I just mentioned about the seasons, just for context. However, this magical moment is geared toward a bit of seasonal inspiration for next week's solstice, as well as just timeless magic. Thank you to our guest, Edgar Fabian Frias. Yes, Edgar is an artist that works in installation, photography, video art, sound, sculpture, printed textiles, gifts, performance, social practice, and community organizing, among other forms. Frias is Wijerica, and their family is from Mexico, although they have lived in the United States for most of their life. Their art addresses historical legacies and acts of resistance, resiliency, and radical imagination within the context of indigenous futurism, spirituality, play, pedagogy, animism, and queer aesthetics. Weaving together the traditional ancestral with the contemporaneous and emergent. Born in East Los Angeles in 1983, Frias received dual BA degrees in psychology and studio art from UC Riverside. In 2013, they received an MA in clinical mental health counseling at Portland State University with an emphasis on interpersonal neurobiology and somatic psychotherapy. Frias received their MFA in art practice from UC Berkeley in 2022. Their work has been exhibited internationally, including the Vincent Price Art Museum, Institute of Contemporary Art San Francisco, Oregon Contemporary, Mocha Jacksonville, Performances Alive, Project Space Festival Juarez, and Art Bow, among others. Their work has appeared in Cosmopolitan, Toshin, Bustle, Los Angeles Times, Slate, CVLT Nation, Terremoto, Hypoallergic, and other publications. Edgar joined us from their home in California. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lisenby. Today we have a very special guest with us. Edgar Fabian Frias. Welcome, Edgar. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So grateful to be here. Really happy to be on this podcast and so excited to chat with you both. So happy you're here. We love to begin our interviews by asking our guests about their big three in astrology. So would you mind sharing your sun, moon, and rising signs? Yeah, so my sun is in Gemini, my moon is in Scorpio, and my rising is in Virgo. Mm, amazing. 
So can you share a little bit about your work and yourself in your own words? Yeah, so I'm a pretty interdisciplinary person. I am a visual artist. I've shown art all over the world um, in galleries and museums. I've also been really active in like underground art spaces and have also uh, been sharing some of my work in the internet through social media and on the blockchain. And I'm also a therapist and an educator and a witch. And uh, I've like taught classes at universities and corporations and small nonprofits. I've kind of, you know, let myself do a little bit of everything, I guess I would say. Um, and my art really focuses on looking at the impacts of industrialization and colonization on communities of color. I'm really excited about indigenous futurism, of bringing in ancestral ancient practices into the contemporary spaces, uh, and also about representation and um, having other people see themselves when they um, see artwork in the world. I know that recently you were commissioned by the LA Times uh, to do a tarot reading for the city of Los Angeles as well. Um, and on this podcast, we talk quite a bit about reading tarot for ourselves and for clients, but how does that compare to reading for a city or like a collective? It was, yeah, a very different process. I really spent a lot of time, like, um, in many ways, like, astral projecting myself and moving around <laughs> different parts of the city. And I also spent some time thinking about the different communities that I'm connected to in Los Angeles, different people that I felt I was bringing into the reading. And, yeah, it was definitely... Um, a lot to hold, I would say. It was a mm -hmm. lot to like really feel all that energy and to uh, then really bring that into the cards. And, you know, I really like to, when I work with uh, tarot, I like to spend some time just kind of really imbuing the cards and just holding that either person or city in my energy field as I'm shuffling the cards to really let them get imbued into the reading. And I'm like really happy with the way that the reading turned out. And I feel like it was was really hopeful and inspiring for me, uh, especially as someone who is considering moving to Los Angeles. It was just really exciting to be like, wow, oh my goodness, it's going to be such an exciting time. Uh, if I move down there, when I move down there, it's going to be such a uh, generative time. And I really feel like generative was one of the words that kept coming through in uh, my, you know, time and looking at the cards. And I feel like, you know, there's a way that like the cards give us messages, but we also receive uh, messages through our intuition. And that was one of the big messages was like, it's a time to really uh, create a lot and to also um, really make a lot of connections. And yeah, and I think that's something that made me really excited. And I was really honored to be asked by the LA Times to do a reading for the city because I'd never really done something like that. And it definitely... Um, it feels good to be able to hold a whole city like that and to be invited to that place by them. Selfishly, I hope someone commissions you to do a reading for Brooklyn next, because I would just love, love to hear that. So if any Brooklyn witches are listening, hit them up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just wanted that. to mention, too, that the reading is up on the LA Times website. Um, if anyone is interested in reading it, it's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. And and I would say the reading is for the next few years, so it, it'll be relevant for the next few years. So definitely at any time that you listen to this, I would invite you to go check it out. 
So cool. And on a personal level right now, like what does your own divination or magical practice look like? Yeah, so I feel like, you know, my practice is pretty diverse, and I feel like it changes a lot with the seasons, and at the core, you know, you brought up one of the words is divination and ancestral communion. Those are really uh, things that I feel like don't change, but maybe change in the way that they manifest um, in my life or how mm-hmm. they show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to work a lot with obsidian and with hydromancy. I also work a lot with the clouds and with trees and animals, and I feel like, you know, experimentation, guidance, deep listening. Those are all really big parts of my spiritual practice. And art is definitely also at the core. It's a container that I use to heal, to dream, to transmute, to envision. And um, I know I've mentioned it before, but I also feel like animal and plant communication Mm -hmm. is also a huge part of my spiritual practice. And it's one that is constant because I'm constantly in relationship, constantly communicating, receiving, and sharing messages with them. Mm. Can you say a little bit more about cloud, cloud reading? I would love to hear that. Yeah, um, I, you know, I've had a few sessions in working with obsidian and with water divination where I've seen myself in past lives doing cloud reading. And so it's actually inspired me to go and connect more with the clouds. And uh, it's really something that's accessible, not all the time, because we know the clouds don't always appear. But if there are ever clouds present, I really recommend folks to um, check in with them if they're ever needing that moment to, uh, you know, receive a little bit of guidance, see themselves reflected in a way. The clouds are always there to share some messages. And um, in the visions that I've had of myself doing these kinds of cloud readings, I've always had someone next to me um, being a scribe and writing down some of the messages. So um, because I don't have that right now, I use my <laughs> phone as that scribe. And so mm-hmm. I often will just record like a voice note and share any reflections or messages that are coming through from the clouds. Mm-hmm. A Siri scribe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Siri. <laughs> we talk a lot about nostalgia magic on this podcast, too. And there's something about cloud reading that really feels... Um, akin to that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like divination in general is something that young kids do so much uh, without even calling it that because that's not like maybe the language we have for it when we're young but Mm -hmm. there's so many ways when I talk about divination and I share like the thousands of ways that it's been done around the world like so many people are like oh my god I did that when I was young like I would like one for example outside of cloud reading one way of doing divination is just staring at yourself in the mirror for like a long time and waiting for something to shift and that is something that I feel like a lot of people have told me that they've done when they were really little just like you know kind of standing there and waiting for something to happen and that to me is just yeah that nostalgia where I feel like young young people are really able to tune into some of those abilities before maybe the school system beats it out of us or like shames it out of us you know kids are just natural witches and they're natural artists and like you said it's like they don't even have to think about it it's just a part of who they are we sort of lose that as we you know get older 
You also have a counseling practice that you mentioned a bit ago, and on your website, you write that your practice is integrative and draws upon a wealth of knowledge from wisdom traditions to contemporary neuroimaging research, and that you have an MA in clinical mental health, a graduate certificate in interpersonal neurobiology, and a specialized training in the Hakomi method of mindfulness-based somatic psychotherapy. So can you share a little bit about this? Yeah, so yeah, I, um, well, in my program at Portland State University, I was uh, studying to become a clinical mental health counselor. And the reason I chose that path was because it was the most like generalized path. It really focused on diagnoses and also on, um, helping people in a variety of settings and I you know as someone who like likes to exist in a lot of spaces I really wanted something that was really generalizable and at the same time I also felt really challenged by the fact that a lot of the training we were receiving was cognitive behavioral it was really focused on symptoms and illness and so when I found out about Meta uh, and Meta is the clinic where I learned Hakomi Meta stands for Mindful Experiential Therapy Approach and they're a clinic that is in Portland. They now go by a different name, uh, but I was able to really learn about somatic therapy in a way that felt more holistic, more uh, connected to strength as opposed to illness, and mm -hmm. also one where I could really show up as a witch and really bring some of my magical practices into the space. And uh, the interpersonal neurobiology certificate that I did was also a similar program where we talked about relationships and systems systems and connections. And, you know, I think it really highlighted for me how much of our world is focused on uh, regimentation and separation and the mechanistic model in a way where we're really wanting to see parts instead of the whole. And um, even though the interpersonal neurobiology program was really based on neuroimaging research, which is really scientific, it's, you know, machines and, and uh, there are lots of statistics and numbers involved, it was still seen as being like a little witchy or woo-woo or out there only because they were talking about these um, ideas within a systems interrelated, like holistic perspective. And I feel like it really did highlight for me that we are living in a world where there are like competing um, ontologies in a way that are like trying to like, um, you know, fight each other for what's real or what isn't real and I feel like it it also made me understand that I didn't want to work in a way that really validated a model that um, I felt, you know, could be helpful. And I'm not like trying to say that cognitive behavioral therapy or that diagnosis is not helpful. I feel like they have their place. I just felt like my role was actually someone, um, you know, who was going to bring in these other types of approaches that felt more in alignment with my spiritual um, background. Mm. So Edgar, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your art um, and art practice. Can you share how your art intersects and weaves in with your magical practice, uh, especially your work with NFTs? Yeah, um, so... 
I think at the core of my practice with art is, you know, wanting to see myself represented, people like me represented, being existing in these spaces. I feel like uh, before NFTs, I was really sharing a lot of my spells on Instagram, on social media, through my newsletter. And I feel like there are a lot of ways in which some of these spaces like social media or even the internet in general are seen as only belonging to certain people or there can only be certain narratives that can exist in those spaces. And I definitely feel that way with NFTs. I feel like there is a narrative that only like crypto bros do NFTs or only cis straight white men who only care about money do NFTs. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a similar way, I've been really um, called to bring some of the spell casting work that I've been doing on the internet into the NFT blockchain space uh, for, for a variety of reasons. One, for that representation, I want other witches to be able to see themselves within these new emerging technologies. I also really feel like it's important to have a variety of cultural conversations within these spaces, especially because I don't feel welcome there. A lot of folks don't feel welcome there. And so we're really forging a path for other people to feel welcome in the space. Another reason why I feel it's important too is that with the blockchain, it is going to be there, quote unquote, forever. As long as we have electricity, I guess, we will um, continue to have these messages on the blockchain because once they're there, they're just there. And Mm -hmm. a lot of queer and trans people that I know talk about how important it is for queer and trans people to leave their legacy, to leave their message especially because so many queer and trans people have had all their art lost. You know, I've seen countless folks who, because their parents kicked them out, because their family didn't care about them, like, their stuff just all goes into the trash, and there can be years and years of art making just thrown away, and uh, there's actually a really incredible documentary that I saw at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles once, where they were literally highlighting some people who kept, like, stories storage spaces to keep certain like archives alive that now have ended up in museum spaces uh, as like important works of art that would have just been lost because their families like didn't care and so that to me is also a big reason why I want more queer and trans people to come into the blockchain to mint their work for for it to actually last for a long time uh, because I feel like it's a way of really historicizing art that is being made today and I think this is another thing that kind of maybe comes up in this conversation too is that for a long time artists who make art that's digital are um you know I've seen a lot of people, and myself included, go from a place of seeing that digital art as being worthless or only having mm. value in terms of likes and people sharing it to actually having it be valuable uh, where people are paying for it. And with NFTs, anyone across the world can can buy your art. So I've had people in Indonesia, in Africa, in South America purchase my art and vice versa. And we're not having to exchange currency. We're not having to have conversations about how much is it worth with, you know, we're kind of all coming into this space with an established idea of what our money is worth in a global way. And we can, we can share and trade artwork in that way, which is also something that you weren't able to do before too. 
I'm so grateful for this perspective because I I feel like I've looked at the space before and been like, this is not for me. And when I did first come to your work, I was just like, this is so exciting. Um, feels like such a psychedelic celebration. And so I'm just, yeah, very grateful f- for that perspective. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'm happy to hear that because I do feel like I I can understand why people would feel alienated or or like feel like that space isn't for them. And I'm really grateful to my friend Sarah Zucker, who's a psychedelic queer artist who really brought me into the space and really, you know, championed for me to be in it and was saying like, we need, we need weirdos in the space. Like it's so important to have other voices here so it doesn't just become another place that's in a way colonized by a certain community and have a lot of people just feel like they're not allowed to be there definitely um and speaking of weirdos and a celebration of weirdos i've just loved your use of uh, mutant across all like platforms and discussions that just brings like a smile to my face where people who are listening and can't see me but um in an interview with sarah Gottesteiner about the many moons lunar planner you said that mutation is emergent magic It is a powerful process that nature has imbued into our systems of life. Identifying as a mutant acknowledges my constant state of flow and formation. It allows me to disrobe from the identities that colonization and capitalism have placed onto me and step into a subjective, contextual, and ever-transforming, self-fashioned sense of self that is based on the narratives and perceptions I hold dear to my own heart. Mutation is a strategy. It allows oneself to constantly integrate new superpowers, abilities, belief systems, ways of knowing, experiencing, and connecting. I just love this so much and wondered if you could talk a little bit more about this kind of emergent magic and the word. Yeah, um, you know, one thing that comes to mind is Octavia Butler's, you know, quote from um, her book of God, God being change and, and change just being this constant energy. And to me, it's a very divine energy. And I feel like there is so much power in being slippery, especially when we live in a system that's really always trying to whittle us down to an identity, a brand, a vocation, a phrase. And I feel like there's so much power in being able to transcend these words and roles and to be able to show up in different ways and and also listening to what starts to show up in your life and ways that you might feel guided to uh, show up in a different way. I feel like sometimes we can get in a rut of who we think we are and how we're supposed to show up in the world. And there's a way that life likes to throw us little curveballs or likes <laughs> to offer us these different little opportunities to show up in a different way. And so when I think of mutant, it it is being in constant relationship with life and really treating life as a big collaborative art project that you're working on and letting yourself show up in different ways, letting life kind of, you know, shape, shape you and shift you. And, uh, and it, I think, you know, it's definitely something that has really allowed me to thrive and to show up in a way that feels really authentic. And it also is something that was really challenging and that I'm constantly still working on. Um, I, you know, wanted to share a little anecdote just to kind of show you, like, I feel like how much the system tries to, like, push you in a certain direction is... um I, for the longest time, have been told that I need to, like, find a job or one career, that I need to, like, focus on something, and I've, like, really resisted that, and... 
Very recently, I opened up my therapy practice again after uh, many years. It was like five years that I like was a full-time artist, really led, letting myself go dive deep into that. And, you know, I've been very successful in those five years. I've had multiple solo shows. I've shown all over the world. I, you know, have I'm being commissioned by larger and larger institutions and, and publications. And, um, but, you know, when I told my dad, like, dad, I'm opening up a one-day-a-week private practice just so that I can, like, you know, have some connection to my therapy practice and while still maintaining my art practice my dad was just very like flippantly said like oh why don't you just like become a full-time therapist you can make so much money that way like just Mm -hmm. you know and I'm like this is after years of me like really explaining why art is so important to me and so I feel like there is just like it's it's a it's a way of thinking that many people are inculcated with that like you're somehow failing if you're not really focused quote unquote on something and I think that's also why I really love to talk about failure a lot and I think mutation can be seen as a failure and uh, queer art is so connected with failure and I think failure is just a sacred part of my practice and um, I feel like it's something that really does need to be transformed in the way we look at it and so I feel like there is such beauty in already being seen as a failure because then you're allowed to then grow in so many different ways and so in some ways like I'm grateful to have people uh, maybe question like my decisions to not like focus on something and just like allow myself to show up in a lot of different ways because it does um you know if I'm failing in the eyes of capitalism I must be doing something right you know? <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say that I love um I love the concept you said failure as a sacred part of your practice and I just love that mindset and kind of that perspective shift because you know when you think of failure it's never like anything positive usually, but you've totally flipped the script on that. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, I think I've really learned as an artist, it's really shown me, like my art practice has shown me that like sometimes the only way to get to that thing that feels really exciting or alive in your practice is to go through many rounds of failure and Mm -hmm. that those failures are really you approaching something else and uh, that was actually something that was really challenging about being in grad school was you know I would bring this up a lot in conversation where I really felt lots of times you know there is this impetus is pushed to like show work that's done or, or finished and and I would constantly ask like where is there room for failure like this isn't in alignment with mm-hmm. how artists actually work like art mm-hmm. needs failure like without it and and I feel like in academic spaces that there is very little room for that and that's something I definitely feel like you know can hold a lot of people back especially um, I've done a lot of projects with people on the side where um, are like artist residencies um, with other witches and a lot of the folks that come to those artists residencies are people that were traumatized by grad school or art school and who really had a lot of these messages around perfectionism or there's only a certain way that art can show up and it really can get in the way of process of intuition and uh, so I feel like there's like a need for other types of processes to exist uh, to help us kind of heal from some of those wounds that come from grad school or school in general yeah Yeah, I'm a recovering MFA poet, so I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Deeply, deeply, deeply. 
Yeah, because it kind of it takes away the ability to listen to your own voice because it's like, at least for myself, it was trying to model that sort of like success in creation versus like getting to the like instinct or the impetus for the creation itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be hard when you have like a lot of people looking at your work, all sharing their opinions and thoughts about it. Yeah, like that can be really helpful in some ways, but sometimes, yeah, especially when people are projecting, projecting their own ideas of value, like it can really shift how you relate to your own work. And yeah, can definitely relate to that. I'm only like a couple months out of my own grad school program, so I'm still like kind of trying to come back to my own energy in a way. Mm. So I would love to continue the conversation here about representation in art, specifically in the LGBTQIA and Indigenous community. In an interview with Arte Realizada, I'd love to share a quote from you, if that's okay, here. Um, in art, we are given space to represent ourselves fully and self-ordain as the people we are wanting to be or even become. Art is one of the few spaces left within capitalism where we can transcend binary lines of thinking, conceptual regimentations, and transcend seemingly oppositional ontologies. Art is also a place where we can imagine possibilities and fill in so many gaps that exist in our understanding of each other and our histories, both as LGBTQIA and Indigenous people. Art is also a space of energetic, relational, and spiritual transmission. For me, art helps us connect with our ancestors and feel into spaces that are much grander and more expansive than ourselves. Being able to connect with our past and to feel into our sacred inheritances as both LGBTQIA and or Indigenous people can help us know how to show up in the world and how to recognize each other when we see ourselves. Art helps us be mirrors for each other, reflecting light and magic, illuminating paths towards one another. I love this quote so much and wondered if you could speak a little bit more about this, especially art as an ancestral practice. Yeah, yeah, this is a big topic mm -hmm. <laughs> and one that I feel like I connect with a lot and share a lot about because it's been really impactful for my own art practice and just for my life in general. I feel like there because of colonization, because of white supremacy and heteronormative culture, so much wisdom and knowledge of our ancestors has been lost or obfuscated or hidden or transformed or even like straightwashed or whitewashed. And I feel like there is a way, though, that messages still come through for folks and I've had many moments in my life that have been incredibly impactful where I have been visited by ancestors and they have shared messages with me that have come either through art projects or they've come through, you know, moments of oracular awakening and I really want people to be able to turn towards their ancestors and to be able to receive some of these messages. And when I say ancestor, I know that it can bring up a lot of feelings because I know a lot of us have different relationships with our ancestors. And so I like to think of ancestors really expansively 
I see them as being in our blood lineages, so connected to our family systems, connected to the lands that we are from, that, you know, our families are from. I also like to think of ancestors as spiritual ancestors, knowing that we all have certain lineages that are, let's say, conceptual, spiritual, creative lineages that we're a part of, and that we're also connected to queer and trans people across history, if you identify in that way, that there are ancestors who've lived across time and space and who are really connected to that spiritual lineage of being queer and or trans. And so I think art is a way of being able to share some of these messages, create some spells that exist beyond time and space, to then leave that little bit of an opening, that portal, that possibility for someone to be able to tap into that wisdom, to feel into that knowledge that does surround us. I also see plants and animals and rocks as ancestors, and they also transmit information and messages. And these are also ways that I feel we're able to return towards something that has been taken away from us. And I want to bring in the Afro-futurist and Indigenous futurist uh, kind of messages, um, those messages that share that if we don't have any connection to our ancestors, if that's been fully taken away, what we do have is our imagination. Mm -hmm. We're able to create our ancestors. We're able to create our lineages. That is something that is a sovereign right that we all have, something that can never be taken away from us is our imagination. And so that is also something that I truly honor. And I feel like art is, of course, Uh, you know, really connected to our imagination, our ability to create is connected to our ability to also feel like we exist within culture and society. And so for all these reasons, I really feel like it's important for me to share my voice and for me to also share the messages that I receive and to invite other people into that process and to let people know that their art matters, their voices matter, their art is going to leave an impact because it is needed. We need a diversity of voices because so much has been done to silence certain voices or to hide them. And that's something I like learned growing up in a very, this is one very simple example. Uh, I was obsessed with Andy Warhol when I was really young in high school and read so many books about Andy Warhol and like looked at all of his art. And it wasn't until my undergrad that one of my art history, um, TAs approached me and was like, did you know Andy Warhol was queer? And I was like, what? I never read that in any of the books. Andy Warhol was always asexual, the asexual. And so that's just one small example of how information gets like hidden or lost through the translation and, you know, uh, you know, obfuscation that this system does to certain communities. So do you have any practical advice for people who really identify with this mindset, um, but maybe just like don't know where to start when it comes to connecting with their ancestors? 
Yeah, um, I definitely have some practical advice. I would say, uh, you know, one practice that has been really helpful for me is speaking with family members and maybe trying to find out a little bit more about your lineages. If you don't feel like that's an, a safe or an easy road to access, uh, I could also in, invite you to go out in nature, go speak to a tree, go connect with some um, animal spirits who are in the forest and uh, let yourself have a moment in feeling nature as your ancestor, knowing that we all come from nature. Uh, and also, I um, have an ancestral altar that I have in my home, and that is something that I invite people to create. And again, you can use your imagination. You can find people in culture that you feel really connected to that have been really influential for you. And so if family is not a, a safe route or an easy route, uh, there are ways that we all resonate with certain witches or artists across time and space that we feel we're really aligned with. These are people that might, you know, be called to be our ancestors or that we can invite to be connected to us in that way. And I feel like, you know, there's a word in therapy that I think about, which is growth edges. And growth edges are places in our life where we might feel excited about something, but also really either intimidated or scared, or it might feel like impossible. And so I also uh, invite people to find safe ways to move towards uh, maybe parts uh, or practices that feel intimidating or feel like we want to do them, but we don't feel quote-unquote good at them. Um, I feel like that's a way of um, inviting a little bit more play into your life, a little bit more um, fluidity and flexibility. Uh, it's something that I've definitely done a lot is I've thought about practices in art that I really like, but maybe feel like I'm not good at or feel like I shouldn't do them, like writing and singing <laughs> uh, and making music. Those are all like practices that I like have been wanting to do, but just have felt really outside of. And so that's also a, a way of feel, I feel like you could put yourself in a situation where you open up to inspiration, you open up to the moment to see what happens in your body and definitely play is such a generative space play is such a um, a space of possibility and um, and I think validating the way that you like to play is also really important some people love to play with others some people like to have a lot of stimulation when they play other other people really like to be somewhere really quiet and somewhere really uh, solitary and I think really validating whatever way feels right for you um, while at the same time maybe pushing yourself a little bit uh, in ways that feel exciting or or in ways that feel possible. Uh, those are ways that I feel like can be practical um, ways to create these containers that you might need to open up to communication because sometimes ancestors can come through play or they can come through art making too. Uh, and I feel like sometimes our ancestors have wishes for us or have dreams for us or they want us to show up in the world a certain way. And sometimes when we open up a space for them to speak with us, they might come through and, and share some of those dreams and desires that they have for you. Does mean you have to say yes to them you could say no you know you could say like I don't think I'm ready for that or this is what I would need to be ready for that and that's also something I like to share with people once you start a conversation with ancestors is that it's a conversation you don't have to take everything they say at face value you can push back you can ask for clarification uh, these um it's just in a way like you would with a living ancestor 
I think even just being open to reaching out is like a big part of it because so many times people will come to us and how to, you know, ask us how to connect with ancestors or spirits. And we're like, you sit down and you talk to them, you know, and I think that's a huge part of it. Just introducing yourself and being open to making that first connection. I think we always want everyone to reach out to us first, but um, it means a lot when we, we reach out to them. Yeah, you might be surprised how much they've mm-hmm. been wanting to talk to you, <laughs> you know, how much Absolutely. they have to say. I feel like, I feel like in a way, once you start that conversation, I think I made like a video about this a while back. It's like you might be overwhelmed with how much they want to <laughs> chat with you and how much you have to be mm-hmm. like, give me some space. I'm trying to wash dishes right now. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to focus on something else. Well, it's making me a little teary eyed. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. Mm. So you had mentioned earlier um, that your practices are influenced by the seasons. And so as we approach the winter solstice, um, you know, how does this season affect your creative and magical practices? Yeah, it definitely does. I feel like it's a time that I like to slow down a little bit more, um, lean a little bit more into rest and also reflect back on the year and also take some time to molt. (laughs) You know, I like to really Mm -hmm. connect with mushroom magic at this time and, you know, really lean into what needs to be transmuted, what needs to be transformed, what wants to die and go away, what is wanting to germinate in the moment and I feel like it's also a time when the veils are really thin and this is a time that I really love to practice divination ancestral communication even more and to work a lot with the void moon or also known as the dark moon this is a really potent time to connect beyond the veils and to really start to you know, set those seeds, plant those seeds for what you might be wanting to create in the next few months, knowing that you might not be ready to start working on it, but you can start maybe envisioning it, imagining it, or also letting things fall apart to make room for new seeds to be planted. Because there's also a recycling, falling apart magic that happens during that time that I really resonate with and really love to also lean into. So there is a lot of rest. And I also like to at least take a month off where I'm like, a lot less engaged with social media, a lot less engaged with folks in general, not really practicing as much, uh, just to really focus on um, the energy that's really in the air at the time. Are there any traditions um, that you love or that you uphold or look forward to taking, you know, part in? Yeah, um, I would say I think one of mine is I have a couple of friends that we like to um, we've done this a few times where we like to come together in ceremony and, um, you know, connect with our ancestors and have a bunch of like play things out that we could channel some of our visions just you know in a very playful way where we'll have like markers and cameras and sound equipment just things available for us to be able to channel and it's a good time to come together with close friends and to also be able to set intentions for the next year Um, that's something I really look forward to and uh, these friends of mine that I'm I'm talking about live in Los Angeles and so I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to do it this year, but if not, we'll for sure do it next year with them. That sounds like such a fun party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I like to do it at least once a year. Uh, You know, to just, I feel like. 
yeah, it's it's important to connect with the mushrooms <laughs> every once yeah. in a while. You know, they have a lot to, to share with us. And so I think we're kind of r- running out of time here. But Edgar, what are some current projects that you're excited about or looking forward to? And where can our listeners connect more deeply with your work? Yeah, so right now I'm actually preparing, I think by the time that this podcast comes out, it'll have passed, but right now I'm preparing for a non-binary performance uh, festival called They Friend that happens in the Bay Area. Uh, What is exciting is that I know that it'll be available to watch after the fact, so if you are interested in non-binary art practice, I highly recommend you check out the They Friend non-binary performance festival. This year we're doing it as like a four-day festival. We're going to have video, performance art, music, and we're even going to have panels, like conversational panels. Uh, And I'm also participating in a couple of exciting projects. Like, in, for example, in Los Angeles, I'm going to be a part of a show called Craftwork um, at the end of October at a space called Coaxial. It's like a witch-themed performance music event. I'm also doing a workshop at the end of November called Rainbow Visionaries about divination and art making. I definitely am planning some in 2023 around divination and art making, some more workshops and experiential uh, experiences. I'm also um, in 2023 looking forward to being a part of some pretty big and exciting art projects. Um, One in Santa Fe, one in Southern California. Uh, I can't really speak much about them yet, but I feel like I pretty soon will be sharing more publicly what some of these projects are. And I definitely want to recommend people to sign up for my newsletter. That's a way to really connect with my work first. Uh, That's where I share about any upcoming projects or events I'm working on. I also have a YouTube channel that has a ton of my past art projects and workshops and interviews that I've done with folks. I have a new series called Mutant Musings that uh, I have on my YouTube channel where I'm, I'm interviewing different like cultural makers um, who are impacting cultural change from witches to artists and educators, etc. I'm trying to really create a cross-discipline of different types of people. And I would definitely say my website is a place where I really hold a lot of my, you know, past projects and information um, I'll definitely be linking this podcast on my website, and that website is edgarfabianfrias.org. And um, like I said, I have a lot of links there to past projects and examples of my artwork if people are interested in seeing what it looks like. Thank you so much, Edgar and listeners, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog tamedwild.com, previously known as magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where we will be speaking with a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.